Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And in case you don't know, my name is Goose, and I'm going to be talking today with a guy called Lloyd Edge. Now, interestingly, for all those of you who don't know, me and my partner Gabby run a buyer's agency service called Dashdot. Um, what we focus on is helping people to master the holy trinity, which is cash flow positive properties in high growth areas with value add potential. And that allows people to build a scalable property portfolio and to, to achieve their property goals and their freedom goals up to six times faster than traditional investing methods. This is the first time that I have had a different buyer's agent on the show to talk about this kind of stuff. Now, the reason that I did this is because Lloyd is super aligned with the way that we do business as well. He's written a, big, a book called Positively Geared. Uh, Positively, it's called Positively Geared, uh, and it talks about you know how to build, you know how to start with you know a pretty pretty from early beginnings and to build that kind of a portfolio. And we talk about all of this kind of stuff on the show. We talk about you know the importance of positive cash flow, the different ways to add value, why it's important to focus on not just positive cash flow, but also thinking about how to like deleverage your portfolio to continue moving forward. And really, we talked about all of the things that you need to know to be able to really build a scalable property portfolio. So you know there are a few things that we maybe don't necessarily see eye to eye on in this episode, but that's okay. You know, that's okay because what we do agree on is the principles of the fact that no two people are the same, no two properties are the same, no two strategies are the same. And the most important thing is to operate from a set of principles, make sure you've got the right characteristics that we call the holy trinity, and to make sure your portfolio has a good, healthy mix of different types of properties that are going to serve you to reach your end goals. So if you're interested in learning about that kind of stuff and hearing that kind of story, I think it's really valuable. And if you're interested in wanting to accelerate your, your own property journey, and if you want to build a scalable property portfolio, and if you want to achieve your goals six times faster, then I encourage you to, to reach out to us directly. So you can go to theinvestorlab.com.au. This is where you can find more episodes of the podcast. If you're listening to that and you want to check that out, you can also reach out to us there. Alternatively, you can just book in a call with us direct. So just head to dash.com.au forward slash discovery. You book in a 15-minute call with me or the team. We'll talk to you about your strategy. We'll talk about where you're stuck. We'll give you some guidance on what the best next steps would be and we'll help you to master the game of property investing. But without any further ado, let's get stuck into it. I know that um, you're going to get a lot out of this episode. I, I really enjoyed it. I don't really have the opportunity to to chat with other buyers agents uh, very often and really talk to other... You know, We, we operate in a little independently. And so really talking to somebody else who's in the space and who's who's doing good stuff is really valuable. And I think his insights are going to be valuable to you too. So without any further ado, let's get stuck into it. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. Joining me today is a guy named Lloyd Edge. Now, he is a fellow buyer's agent, but more importantly, and what I think is most fascinating is that he is living proof of building a scalable property portfolio. He's the author of a book called Positively Geared, which is great. And that talks tells people and teaches people how to go from a very low starting point to actually being able to build a scalable property portfolio. He's done it. He's got a portfolio of about 16 properties. And I'm really interested in having this discussion because... Whilst we are in the same industry and in the same business and ostensibly competitors, I think we've, we've got a really strong alignment in the way that we go about doing business, in the way that we care deeply about uh, you know, how the, the, the why around what people are doing and why they're doing it and actually how to make that a reality. So Lloyd, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you going? Really good to be with you. Mate, it's awesome. So 
Look, I know a little bit about you and uh, and who you are and all of that kind of stuff. But for the benefit of the people who don't know who you are and you know what you've done and all that kind of stuff, do you want to give us a quick uh, high level summary? Tell us a bit bit about yourself. Yeah, well, basically, I haven't always been in property. I've got a background as a teacher. Yep. Uh, so for many years, I was a teacher, but on the side, building a property portfolio because I felt that uh, the income from a teacher uh, wouldn't allow me to you know, live the life that I wanted to or ad- even you know, be financially comfortable when I got uh, you know, towards retirement. Uh, as I was going along, uh, I sort of discovered lots of different strategies on how to actually um, move forward after making a few mistakes when I was, uh, when I was first starting out. Uh, and one thing led to another. My passive income from my property portfolio overtook what I was earning as a salary. Uh, so that allowed me to essentially retire from teaching. Uh, and then I, I basically went in and, uh, you know, started my business. Um, I was property professionals as a buyer's agent, essentially to, uh, to help others to try to, um, you know, achieve their dreams, essentially. Yeah, that's awesome. Because that's interesting. You know, my background is obviously is not, well, not, maybe not that obviously. My background is not in real estate either. You know, I was in a completely different industry and started the business for the same reason. You know, we actually went and made a mistake and then went, ah, oh, hang on a second. How do we, how do we try not stuff this up again for ourselves and started building out our own? And really, we were looking internally and going, well, how do we try and live a better life? It was all about us, right? To be honest, at the start. And then we sort of, after a lot of time building out research methodologies and all that kind of stuff, just trying to solve the and an- find the answers to the questions for ourselves, we went, oh, hang on a second. Geez, a lot of other people could probably benefit from this too. So let's try and go and help people. I'm interested though, um, at what point, like how long did it take you to go from, all right, I've just started investing and I'm currently a school teacher. How long did it take you to go from that point to, geez, I don't need to work as a teacher anymore? Uh, so all up, that probably was was twelve or thirteen years. Uh, however, it was probably about uh, six or seven years once I really set my mind to it. Now, at that point, I already had a few properties, but when I first started investing, um, like I didn't really know what I was doing. I was buying properties, uh, most of them in Sydney. They're negatively geared, and sure, uh, they've kind of done well over the years. But when I first started investing, I was you know I was in a lot of debt. I didn't have much cash flow, and I was thinking there must be a better way of doing this. Mm. Uh, a few years after that, I did sort of make a decision that I wanted to be able to retire from teaching. And when I started to really think about why I wanted to do it and and how I was going to be able to do it, and that there was better ways than just buying a property and holding it, then I had a much clear, a much more clear time frame, which is probably about six years from there uh, to get to uh, you know the destination of retiring as a teacher. Yeah, that's awesome. What do you think is the what is what do you think is the you obviously started out negatively geared so did did you end up selling some of those properties uh, and getting rid of them and starting again or did you just focus on right, how do I now add better properties to my portfolio that is going to allow me to keep moving forward and what do you think what what did you learn at, that was the turning point moment that you went actually I can achieve this and I can I can you know get to where I want to go. Yeah, so I didn't actually sell any of those properties at the time. Uh, a mm-hmm. couple of years later, uh, I did, but uh, because a lot of those were actually quite good properties, but they just weren't serving the purpose. So I would have ended up with maybe five properties across a number of years, and you know, over a, a period of thirty years, I might have had a lot of growth with them. Uh, but what I needed to do was really turn things around. So I started to look for uh, you know ways to move forward, and I thought positive cash flow was was the way to do that. But however, I didn't realise at the time that. Uh, you know, you can't go from one extreme to the other. So I also made a quite a funny mistake, which I talk a lot about in my book because it's quite funny. I bought a property in a mining town 
uh, called, called Blackwater in central Queensland, yep. uh, which was uh, achieving about 25 to 30% growth uh, annually. Uh, so probably I paid about $250,000 for and it was renting for about $900 a week. So I thought I'm onto a winner now. Now I know what to do. I'll be able to retire now in a couple of years. Um, <laughs> yeah, that probably for a while. And then uh, the mining boom collapsed. So yep. you know, big learning there was not to invest in, in one horse towns and in one industry towns. Yeah. Uh, but to get back to the other um, part of your question, it was it's really about, for me, was understanding how important cash flow really was to be able to move forward in your portfolio and then being able to add value to properties because when you're buying it, and when I first started investing, it was just after the Sydney 2000 Olympics. So the market had already boomed. So I was buying when the market was starting to decline and I didn't have any idea of, of those sort of fundamentals at the time. Mm. Uh, so you know, later on, when I really started to think about what I was doing, it, it really came down to but you know, buying properties where I could add some value, uh, whether that was through a, a renovation or a duplex. And you know, the thing that really changed my life was the first duplex I built, uh, where I gained $140,000 in equity on that on completion once I did the subdivision. That was twice as much uh, as what I was earning as a, uh, a salaried teacher at the time. You know, I was going to mm. work every day. I, I was pulling in about 70 grand for, you know, working all day, every day for the year. Uh, and then I you know, got this equity from building a duplex and I thought, hey, I'm onto something here. I need to repeat this process. And, you know, I just thought, well, am I going to work every day and, and doing this when I could I could set this strategy and and move towards um, my goals of retirement? Totally. So that, that duplex, did, was that, tell me about that. Did you buy an existing property and then um, build a second? Well, did you, was it like a house and land package type duplex type thing or what was, how did that come about? So, no, it wasn't a house and land package or anything like that, but it was in, uh, it was actually in the new estate, but it was the last block available in that estate. Now, I was in a country town, um, Armadale in northern New South Wales. Yep. Uh, and it was a corner block that was um, available, and the block had come back on the market because uh, the last buyer's finance had, had fell over. Uh, so, I ended up putting in an offer and getting it for about you know, $30,000 cheaper than what the, the last buyer had gone under contract for. Uh, so, that was all good. I uh, didn't really know what I was doing. So, you know, went and found, um, uh, a builder, of course, and then you know the DA process and everything like that was was quite interesting, and um, you know I had to learn a lot of things along the way and and try to seek some advice from people and things like that. But uh, and I didn't really know what I was doing. I was nervous whether I was going to actually get the results I wanted and stuff. But that's how sort of that that kind of uh, came about. Did you when you were when you were starting that process? You just said you were nervous about whether you were going to get the result you wanted. How much forethought did you put into it? Like, okay, did you do feasibility studies on that, or did you just sort of go? Well, uh, well, I can get the land a little bit cheaper than than I than they they were trying to buy it for, and and all right, well, I guess if I build a duplex, I'm going to have two incomes, so that'd be like the, how much how much real strategy was in it, and how much was it like, you know, take action and just kind of hope for the best, and and it worked out. How much was of was of those? Uh, there's probably a little bit of both. There's probably a little bit of yeah, take take action, hope for the best. But I, but I looked at the numbers. Uh, you know, I spoke to uh, some real estate agents around town and, and what, what the property would be worth on completion and things. Uh, still didn't give me a lot of confidence because I, I didn't sort of see a lot of comparables and, and stuff for that. So uh, so I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, if I get 50 or 60K equity in here, then I've made a bit of profit that if I just bought an existing property, uh, I'd have to be waiting for growth and I could be waiting a couple of years to make that sort of equity. So yeah. I was underestimating what I could make. And then it ended up getting a, a much better result, which, um, you know, obviously if it, if it had been a bad result, then that may have just turned um, you know, turned my circumstances. I may not have done that again. So it's quite fortunate that worked out quite well. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. So 
how big a role do you think? Because it's interesting. So what so what we talk about um, to all of our clients and on this podcast quite a lot is what we call the holy trinity, and it's not dissimilar from what you're talking about there. So we talk about buying in good growth areas, so that you've obviously got to be able to identify those. Um, buying for positive cash flow, so that you can you know keep your serviceability in the right place and keep that liquidity in your portfolio. But then also focusing on a value add component. Now the way that I see it, there's different ways to add value or to to have those extra levers in a property portfolio or in a property purchase. You know under market value is one uh, you know buying buying below market value and if you can get below market value and positive cash flow and any good group good growth area that's one way to win another way to add value could be through a renovation or through a granny flat or through a, doing a subdivision and add a, adding a second dwelling and you know this kind of and depending on where people are at in their portfolio i think it, it's appropriate for, at different stages so what are your thoughts on that and what do you think, you know, for people that are earlier on in their property portfolio, what do you think is the, the most important uh, couple of things they need to think about in order to be able to, you know, keep growing that portfolio? Because most people want the same thing. They want freedom, right? They want to be able to go, I, I, I'm going to invest in property and I want to not have to work anymore. So if they can do that in sort of five to 10 years, we'll use that time frame. What do you think the most important things to focus on are? Yeah, well, I guess the first to answer the first part there, you've you've pretty much covered everything there. I call it the property trifecta, uh, which is obviously buying in a good growth area, having good cash flow, getting that instant equity, and and you've sort of covered uh, covered everything there. And uh, yeah, that's all really important. But for someone who's just starting out, what's really important, I think, is really understanding uh, your goals and yeah, you know, what you're trying to achieve. And then setting a strategy there and understanding how that's going to help you to achieve that. Because, you know, different people have uh, different goals. And, you know, some people, you know, they might have a mortgage that they want to pay off. So, for example, I've, I've paid off a couple of principal place of residences in the past by using equity that I've created from uh, from a duplex development and things like that. So, so, so having that. Or you might want to put your kids through, you know, private schools, which are expensive, or you might want to retire. You might want to go on uh, overseas holidays, maybe not at the moment, but when we can go overseas, uh, you know, we can do all that kind of stuff. So you really need to know what you're trying to achieve. Um, a lot of people come to me and they kind of want to build cash flow. They want to replace their income, which is, I guess, essentially the same as retirement. So yeah. it's 50K, 80K, 100K, then we look at how you can achieve that. Uh, what's really important though is firstly getting, you know, a really good asset base so that first property still has to have all the fundamentals so before we even look at anything else it has to be in a good growth area there's no point Agreed. buying something that's in you know a bad area that's just going to have you know really high uh, cash flow on it and nothing else so you really do need to buy you know where the government's um spending money there's infrastructure there's you know rising population uh and i think where uh places that are driven by you know a hospital university all those things are really important uh and and, and buying with a school catchment zone so really getting something that's a good growth property first and understanding how to find that then once we've found that and even pinpointed the right street or the right parcel of the suburb then how we can add value to that property in the future now if you're on a bit of a limited budget you may not be able to add value right away but if something can be a bit unique about that property, so it might be a slightly larger block, uh, it's got the potential to put a granny flat on it, or it's got potential to develop in the future or, or subdivide, yeah. or renovation is quite an easy sort of uh, strategy there because, you know, that's something you can go in and, and do as long as you're not overcapitalizing. But then again, you also need to understand, uh, yeah, the difference in sales prices between unrenovated property and a similar property that is renovated. So there's totally. a lot of intelligence there. So understanding that, in terms of being able to move forward, having good rental yield is always very important, uh, particularly if you're on sort of a, a lowish to, to middle income, uh, because that cash flow 
you need that cash flow to be able to move your portfolio forward. It's a little bit different if you're on a really high income and you know you don't have any problems with cash flow and you need to get a bit of money back on tax. You don't mind negatively gearing something. You might be able to buy a couple of properties in Sydney off the bat. But um, for most of us, like when, when I was a teacher, that wasn't necessarily the right way to go at the time. Totally. I want to I want to dig into that um, specific element there, the yield, right? Because obviously, it's critically important to increase your cash flow and all of that kind of stuff. So you're contributing more to your total overall income pool, and that's what's going to allow you to keep moving forward. From a finance strategy perspective, though, there's differing opinions uh, depending on who you speak to, right? There's differing opinions around how much the rent can contribute to actually keeping you moving forward. Like some people, some people out there say, well, yeah, I mean, you can get, you know, 9% yielding properties, but they're not actually going to do anything for you because, you know, they'll cap the the addressable uh, income at 6%. Then you got to, and then, you know, and then they'll corrode that even further by putting some other metrics on it. And so how, like a lot of people think that it just doesn't work, like that that actually just won't keep you moving forward. But I want to know your specific opinion on on that role and your experience uh, on using that to to continue that liquidity to move forward. Yeah, so you're right. A lot of banks don't. A lot of banks do cap things at six percent, and 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 a lot of banks do sort of use a metric of 80, 60 to seventy percent of a property's rental income. But if you've got a property that's only uh, got a five percent yield, which a lot of people might think is an okay yield, and the banks only take seventy percent of that, then that becomes even a lower yielding property. So you're better off getting something. You know, a bit higher. Now, if you're at a nine, nine or a ten percent yielding property, uh, that's likely to be a, a commercial property, or it might be, uh, you know, a cash flow property in a regional area. That's probably not the greatest property. So, I tend to, um, at the best of times, probably have properties that are probably six and a half to seven percent yield anyway. Yeah. That's a good target. Um, I agree. Six and a half is kind of like a nice spot to be. Yeah, that's what I call a good cash flow property. I'm not into these. You know, people who talk about NDIS properties and get twenty percent returns and all that. No, it's not for me. I'm not. <laughs> no, no, because no, it's too tied up with schemes, and it's yeah, like, does right. does it stand on its own two feet or not? Like, you can never really kind of work it out, and it's too. It's I've a never, little bit of. I've yeah. never spoken to anyone who's actually got one like that's been successful. It's like people are pushing this this product, but I don't know whether. I actually, I actually, you know what? I met one. I met one investor, and it was really interesting because he his whole strategy was um was to basically just he was a bit of a um a stumbling uh, uh investor like he didn't really have a huge strategy he just like sees a government scheme and he goes geez that's a lot of cash flow I'll just get one of them now he had I would say accidentally built a very large portfolio like twenty properties you know twenty five properties or something like that. Um, purely just based on he goes, oh, I just kept, I just looked and they have those good yield and off we went. But that's the only one. <laughs> you know, every every other person is just like, oh, it was great for a year and then it went, uh, and then or whatever. It just never quite works out. And then- and- it was great when I bought it, but I tried to sell it and no one wanted to buy it. Exactly. There was one year left on the scheme. No one wanted it. it like, oh. Valuations are horrible. You know, the banks don't like them anyway. They're overpriced and the banks value them low. But anyway, back to what we we're talking about. Yeah. What's... um. I, I think it's really important, though, is getting a good finance strategist um, who is essentially a, a mortgage broker, but, a, you know, a good term for, you know, a proper mortgage broker because different banks um, have different serviceability calculators. So yeah. you can't just walk into the bank and sort of see what CBA will lend you and then just go with that. And some people, you know, tie themselves up with three or four loans with CBA. I mean, that's another mistake I made when I first started out. I, I was cost securitized and had three or four loans with St. George. Yeah, not a good move. I had yep. to untie all that. And I get a lot of clients coming to me and they've got all you know, really messed up finance kind of stuff yeah. to untangle that. But, you know, if you go to uh, this, the non-bank lenders, 
they often have higher serviceability calculators. I mean, take Pepper, for example, um, does lend you more money and to people a little bit outside the box than some of the big four. But so, but you need to use both. So once you've been maxed out with um, one of the big four, you need to look at some of these these other lenders as well. And, you know, a good mortgage broker who's got access to 30 or 40 different lenders on their panel should be able to keep that, uh, you know, you know, keep that dream alive for you. Totally. So, yeah, and, th- and this is the way I think about it too. You sort of want to start on the first tier lenders, your big four, and you want to go max out there and then you go down to the second tier lenders and go, okay, who's going to take, who's going to, who wants to give me some debt now? Take that on and then go down to the third tier lenders and and that's what's going to keep you moving. It's You've got to have a, a robust finance strategy around it too because I have so many people who, what frustrates me, I, I would just want to kind of say is that that is that not all mortgage brokers are created equal, right? Not all of them think strategically. Yep. Most of them, most of them just think, look, what's, you know, is this going to be with the big four or not? And, and, Oftentimes, I'll actually have have clients who have their own mortgage brokers, and their mortgage brokers actually aren't aligned with the the strategy of where they're trying to get to. And so, for example, we'll say, "Yeah, hey, here's what we're going to go do: cash flow, growth, all the good stuff." And they'll, on a personal level, that mortgage broker won't necessarily they'll they'll have a bias towards say negatively geared properties or big four lenders or whatever, and they can kind of. I think completely destroy people's um, desire to get to where they want to go because they're not prepared to think laterally. They're not, they're not prepared to think strategically. They're not prepared to look for alternative options. It's much easier for them to say, "No, that won't work," and and yeah. draw a line under it. So yeah, absolutely. And so, um, and I completely agree. And that's what happens with a lot of my clients as well. When I, uh, you know, take on new clients, I basically sit down with them, yeah, you know, with their mortgage broker or you know maybe mortgage broker that I've referred to them. And we generally have a, a meeting, or it might be a Zoom call with all in different locations. Mm. And we we nut out that 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 strategy and work out what you know what they're trying to achieve. And this also comes down to the types of structures you sh- you can buy the properties in. Now, obviously, uh, you know you can buy properties in uh, trusts and company structures and individual names for different types of reasons um, that your account. You know, you have a discussion with the accountant, they'll um, you know help you with that kind of stuff. But there's also good reason to be buying in those different structures for lending because the lending changes as well. So you you might be uh, maxed out with your own personal names, but you might be able to get uh, you know lending through a through a different entity and things like that. So they're they're things to to consider. And then when you're building your portfolio, look at what the purpose of the property is. You know. Is it a duplex that you are building to hold in your portfolio, or is this something you're actually going to sell uh, and take the profits to invest somewhere else? That yeah. might have to a deleverage and to, to deleverage and decrease your debt. Yeah, yeah. And 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 that might have a different entity uh, to to buying something in individual name or buying your primary residence and things like that. Um, and and then there's also the strategy with uh, you know obviously I do a lot of stuff in duplexes because they can be quite flexible uh, because you can keep one and sell one of the units. Uh, and that pays down some debt uh, while still keeping one of those units in a good growth area. So that can help you keep moving forward as well because everyone does have that uh, that ceiling, uh, you know, as they keep getting the debt. So there needs to be ways to manage that, you know, to be able to keep moving forward. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Like th- th- there's only really two income, uh, two levers that you need to focus on. It's like, it's, you know, your debt levels and your income levels. And at a certain point, you know, sometimes it's going to make more sense to increase your yield or increase your cash flow. And other times it's going to make more sense to, decrease your your debt i you know decrease your leverage and give you some of that capacity back i think that's where the real the really interesting part of it um uh, comes into play and then thinking about where does that you know it's, it's all well and good to have an idea around what type of property you want to buy but is that strategically going to serve the needs of your portfolio at that point in time and is that what's going to keep you forward keep keep moving forward because 
you know, for example, uh, you know, because everyone does have a ceiling at a certain point, right? But if you can think two and three steps ahead and go, okay, well, if this purchase does this and the next one would be something like that, then the third one we might need to, for example, I, you know, build a duplex or um, do a battle axe subdivision and sell the land down to pay down the front. How all of that, any of these kind of combinations of things where you can increase, you can manufacture equity and use that to deleverage, which is going to allow you then to transfer that capital and increase your debt amount and, and move into another another property. Yeah, so that's exactly right. And what I basically do is I, I have a roadmap that I, I work with people and it basically, you know, you can have up to 10 properties on that roadmap. And, you know, I don't really, I, I hesitate trying to plan people's properties, 10 properties in a row because so many things change, you know, finance yeah. changes, property markets change and everything. But we certainly certainly can look at the first three or four and think, okay, you need to buy this property for cash flow. This one should be in a good growth area. This one's going to do this for you. Like you said, you might do this yeah. for subdivision and all that kind of stuff and, and sit there with the um, finance broker and think, okay, we need to get, you know, finance for these properties. Uh, and, and of course, looking at what people's, so, and a lot of brokers make this mistake, is they, they just work out someone's borrowing capacity and think, okay, you guys can borrow a million dollars, so go buy a property. But if someone comes to me and they've got a million dollar borrowing capacity, I sit and work out strategy and you might have to buy three yeah. properties for that. You know, you're not going to go spend all your, all your money on one one property and then you'll be maxed out, you'll be stuck, you can't do anything because, you know, you might buy a property in Sydney and, and that's great, but then you're done. Yeah. Not that uh, million dollars to get in Sydney either. Totally, totally. And there's the other piece in that as well that let's say you've got a million dollars borrowing capacity. Yeah, you could go and buy one property for a million dollars or you could probably buy, let's just say, two properties for half a million dollars. But in doing so, if you bought the right properties with the right characteristics, with the right yields and all of that kind of stuff, you'll then be able to go and buy a third property because holistically, you will have increased your total borrowing capacity because you will have essentially bought back some of your borrowing capacity, right? That's exactly right. And that's 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 always the conversation we have up front. Absolutely. Yeah. And I find that really fascinating because obviously you corrode it a little bit over time. You do add some lenders, which will take 100% of rent. But if you take, say, I, I always kind of roughly measure it on an 80% uh, 80% of rent calculation. So if you said, I've got a million dollars borrowing capacity, but if I bought the right property in the right place, right time, I'd essentially buy back you know, 80% of that. So then I'd have another $800,000 that I could spend and then you could go and buy again and then you could, you'll corrode 80% of that. So then you'd have whatever we'll call it, $600,000 $600, then. But then of course, if you can deleverage as well, that's what's going to keep you moving forward. So it's about understanding how to balance those, those, those stepping stones along the way rather than just picking one type of property and thinking if I just buy, oh, okay, this one worked well, I'll just go and buy 30 of those because that just, you'll get, you know, I think you just get, you just will really hit, hit too many roadblocks. And I think that's why it's, from my view, it's way more important for people to think um, from a place of principles and strategy than it is to play, think from a place of tactics. So many people uh, go out there and they go, okay, um, you know, I, I, I know I know what the secret is. I'm just going to buy under market value. Or I know what the secret is. I'm just going to look for renovation projects. Or I know what the secret is. I'm just going to do duplexes. But it really, realistically, just like any recipe, if you, if you have a recipe that's made up of one ingredient, it's just the ingredient. But if you have a recipe made up of a variety of different, you know, components and seasoning and all of this kind of stuff, you're going to end up creating a masterpiece. So. I um I just yeah I just want to um pick up on that point. That's a really really good point because uh, you know like I've got a lot of people that come to me and they just want to do one thing. They want to uh, do duplexes. They want to um, rinse and repeat the um and everything like that, or they want to do you know just just renovations and, and whatever. You know, I, it's all about strategy. You know, it's all about those end goals. So uh you know and like my portfolio is really mixed, and I, I've even got 
you know, apartments in my portfolio. Some people would never buy apartments, but you know, if they're, if they're in the right area and they're, uh, you know, they're getting good cash flow and, and, and they're serving a purpose, then that might be okay as well. But it's it's really about, uh, yeah, what you're trying to achieve. So certainly, you know, if you just go out and buy ten duplexes in the rural and regional centres, that's not really going to achieve your goals either. I mean, yeah. I've got some clients that come to me; they've already got ten or twelve properties, but they're all reg- in regional areas, so they've all paid about three hundred k's for these properties. They've got good cash flow, so they can keep moving forward, but they've got limited growth and you know, they've got these goals of uh, of retirement. And at the end of the day, it is the capital growth that creates that wealth. Totally. If you've just got cash flow um, coming in, that's just going to you know, pay off your debt, but you're not going to be able to retire. You're also going to get stuck and go way slower. So sorry to jump in there. Like I, 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 like we focus on positive cash flow, but the, the way that we do things is like we first identify the right growth location and then seek out how we can get the right yeah. yields. Because if you do it the other way around, you're just going to end up buying some random property in some random town just because it's got a good yield number on it. And then ultimately, that's not going to get you to where you want to go. Because you're right, like the, the growth component, that's what's going to fuel further, further deposits. That's what's going to build up your wealth. That's what's going to allow you to actually keep the thing moving forward. Otherwise, just in the same way that if you kind of negatively gear, it kind of works out in the long run, but it's really going to slow that whole process down. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, absolutely. And and I work with these clients to sort of, you know, understand their goals and then realize that, you know, you need to be, you need to get properties in the capital cities. You need to be represented in Melbourne, in Sydney, in in Brisbane. You need to get properties in these markets and we devise strategy and how to get there. Why, um, why, 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 why do you say that they need to get properties in those markets? Why do you, why do you have that opinion? Because I, I believe they're the, they're the ones that are going to get the most growth. Mm. Um, but I'm talking about that if, if you've got only properties in regional centers that have minimal growth, mm. you're going to be, um, you know, you're going to be uh, maxed out with all these properties that don't have a lot of growth. Um, uh, you might have trouble selling them in the future. They have really good cash flow. So I think that you do need to have high growth properties in these capital cities. Now, you know, capital cities is not the only place that ha- have high growth. I mean, you could be buying at Lennox Head or you could be buying at uh, at Wollongong, for example. But I, I do think that you need to be represented eventually in these uh, capital cities as well because that's, um, I think, ultimately going to get you the most um, growth and that's what cre- creates the wealth. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's I I don't I don't disagree. I mean, all you need to do is look at look at the look at property prices in Australia a hundred years ago versus now, and you'll see just a vast discrepancy between some locations and others. An interesting one is that in Melbourne, I can't remember what year it was, but there was a you know it was like eighty years ago or something like that. Pretty much the property prices in every suburb in Melbourne were about the same. Might have been a hundred years ago, but then and then you look at the property prices across Melbourne now, and they're vastly vastly different in different locations. I don't disagree with with that on a very macro level, but um, I think it's I, I really think it's possible to to get the best of both worlds. You know, where you can get where you're not just going uh, for okay, this one's you know good getting good yields, but to actually really get that right positioning in the market to get solid growth. Yeah, um, yeah. and I, I would I wonder like then it, then you know if you're say suggesting say buying Sydney and you're ending up with negatively geared properties, d- does that then corrode that kind of cash flow goal in the end like if you're if you're getting let me rephrase it slightly differently if we take that assumption and we say that like bondi grows more than i don't know bendigo right for example um which i think is probably we could probably we could probably agree on that one uh but uh but let's just say bendigo grows a lot more than i'm going to say broken hill right so so then you've kind of got these you've got these three completely disparate locations. Broken Hill might yield at 14%, Bendigo might yield at like 6%, and Bondi might yield at like 2%, yep. right? So 
if you look at the extremes and you could say, well, on the one hand, you've got Broken Hill where I can get much higher yield and cash flow. And then you've got Bondi, which give much higher growth. And if you're trying, and I know that this is not what you're suggesting is to go on that level of extreme, but just to illustrate it. But would you not be better off, in your opinion, to shoot for those uh, those properties that are going to get, say, you know, if one property gets, say, 2% growth and one gets 10% growth and one gets 5% or 6% growth and 6% yield, holistically, are you not better off having more of those um, 6%, 6% growth, 6% yielding properties on a middle ground? No, I, I agree with that. But I, and I'm not saying that you should uh, you transition to buy all your properties in, in Sydney or anything like that, but yeah. I think you should have a, a balance. Uh, like I've got, um, you know, I've got still got regional properties and things, but see the properties that I own in, in Sydney uh, these days are positively geared properties. Um, so, you know, it's just part of the strategy to get there. And, and, and after a while, you know, the, with, the, with the rents increasing and things, and, and depending on the, the cash flow and the equity that you've created from some of your regional properties, and that's why things like duplexes becoming you know, really handy or, or subdivisions where you can sell off the land and I've kind of done yep. that sort of stuff as well, because you're creating equity and you can, uh, you know, you can reinvest that somewhere. Now, if you reinvest that, say that you can buy a property in uh, in a capital city market and go at a 70% LVR instead of trying to go in at 90% or something, you've then got, um, you know, much higher yield straight away uh, and you're representing yourself better. So, uh, and I'm not saying, you know, all your properties should be like that and certainly not straight away. It's just as you your portfolio matures, yeah. Uh, yeah, at some point, just get into some of these growth markets because if you you have a look at the sort of growth, uh, and I guess I'm just talking from from experience. I mean, the, the properties that I've got in Sydney have had uh, a lot of growth, uh, you know, compared to, you know, the regional properties. The regional properties obviously have uh, the higher yield, but um, I still think it's important to to get that organic capital growth over time as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're, we're, we're singing from the same hymn sheet, you know, ultimately it's about having a good portfolio mix and, and the right balance, right. And not just, you know, doggedly chasing one, you know, I, I, I'm a big proponent of, of taking a non-dogmatic approach, you know, that no two people are the same, no two goals are the same, no two properties are the same, no two markets are the same. And so it's really important to like factor in all of those components and go, okay, well, is this the right time for this kind of thing? Is this the right... You know, people talk about adding commercial into the portfolio, which again, I think has a place in most portfolios at a certain point in time in a certain way and for certain reasons. But, you know, again, it's taking a non-dogmatic approach. So I want to ask you now, just before we... As we start to get towards the end of the episode, I want to ask you, um, as we record this, we're just in the early stages of 2021. What are your what's your view on the property market broadly speaking over the you know looking forward rather than looking backwards? Where do you think the property market is going over the next you know one three five years in your view? Look, I, I think we're going to uh, see some uh, quite serious growth over the next um, probably twelve to eighteen months, mm. uh, and uh, in in probably many markets. Um, particularly, I really like what's happening on the the east coast of Australia at the moment. Um, I think probably Melbourne will take a bit of a while to catch up, but I do like what's happening on the northern passes of of New South Wales and, and even the Sunshine Coast. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, there's even, you know, Perth, Perth, which has been sort of in decline for five years, is now really starting to come back and stuff as well. Yeah. Um, but, but I think, you know, w- what I'm sort of seeing at the moment, and this has been talked about a bit, uh, you know, are more people sort of working from home offices and not having to go, you know, into into work. So on. And, and you know, people are starting to sort of move out of the, uh, you know, the cities and, and have a bit of a tree and a sea change. I see that's going to happen a bit. So I think some of these regional um, areas and, and, and some of these nice coastal locations for lifestyle, and whether that's places like Port Macquarie, Lennox Head, Ballina, Coffs Harbour, uh, you go down South Coast, for example, as well. Uh, I think those um, populations are going to start growing. Some of those um, tourist um, destinations that 
you know, normally I'd sort of say be very careful of tourist investing tourist destinations, um, are probably going to start, you know, getting a bit more of an influx of, of people wanting to live there because uh, to some extent, you know, people are you know, have to sort of work from from home. So I think the demographics are changing. What I'm what I think I uh, what what will happen is it's going to be less demand for apartments. I think we're going to see um, rent, rental vacancies in apartments um, increasing uh, in Sydney. Uh, they yeah. they already are in, um, have quite vac- high vacancies in like Brisbane and Melbourne. I think uh, there's going to be more issues with that in Sydney as people now strive for for larger properties with a uh, bit of an office space and things like that, and in the outer suburbs. So and, and may not always be in the north coast but you know we can be looking at uh, moving out to uh, you know Campbelltown as opposed as opposed to living in, in a western a small small property so i think yeah. the demographics of people are, are going to change and it's going to push the growth of some of those suburbs uh, so the old adage of you have to invest 10 k's from the city to get growth and i know there's some people out there saying you have to invest within 10 k's of the city in a blue chip suburb to get lots of growth it's ridiculous um, i've never agreed with that because you don't, really don't have to. And having said that, I've got properties sort of almost in city in both Sydney and Brisbane, but that's not my, that's the, not the only thing I do. Again, my, my strategy is quite varied. But you can invest in Camelltown or Blacktown, and 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 Blacktown's a good example. I wish I'd actually invested there 15 years ago because I didn't know as much then. I thought, oh, that, you know, that's a dump price is cheap. I'd never buy out there. And if I did, I'd be you know doing a lot more, a lot better than what I'm now because there's um you know there's there's been a lot of growth there. So there's yeah. a lot of stuff happening in these outer suburbs, uh, and I think that's going to um you know happen more in the next couple of years. Yep, couldn't agree more. Awesome. I've really enjoyed this chat. It's been uh it's been a, a great way to to kind of just bounce some ideas around like I, I i love what you guys do and and what you stand for and the way the way you go about doing things so it's really nice to be able to just have that conversation and kind of pressure test some of these ideas and you know look at things from a from a fresh perspective is there anything you want to share with um with people like where can people get, get a copy of your book if they're interested uh yeah so the books it's available on amazon Yep. And uh, and it's available on oh, Booktopia and all those kind of online, but it's available in any leading bookshop too. So Dimix, Collins, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's not a it's not actually a plug for my services or anything. It's actually uh, a book that I wrote. Uh, it's about my journey and it's kind of to to inspire people that you know people are sort of sort of in a job and they want to uh, try to yeah better their their financial. Uh, lives, uh, you know, I wrote the I wrote the book to try to inspire people a bit. So it, it details my journey. Then we talk about property strategy. I talk about the fundamentals in the markets, and I have a few case studies in there. And there's a little bit of fun. I I make fun of myself in you know the the bad property I bought in Blackwater that went from renting for nine hundred dollars a week to two hundred dollars overnight and stuff. So it's, it's a little bit of fun in there. But uh, but yeah, like I said, it's not a, it's not a plug for my services. But um, yeah, highly recommend. Um, yeah, people reading it. One one thing I do mention in there, um, chapter eleven, it's called the dream team. That's where I highly recommend people do set themselves with a, a good team of people. Uh, so you know, if you're if you're investing somewhere where you are not familiar with, and a buyer's agent is obviously good, but but having a good mortgage broker, a solicitor, uh, an accountant. So talking about the uh, you know how important all those people are to yep. your team before you even get onto you know buying the property. So there's a lot of a lot of um, you know education in there that, that I sort of try to pass on to people. Awesome. Great stuff. Check it out if you are interested in learning more about property. It's, it's hard to find good property books out there. Um, so it's good to see uh, this one come out as well. And, and I know it's been out for a while, but I think it's a worthwhile read. Lloyd, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciated having a chat. Thanks so much. It's been a hoot. Awesome. I'll speak to you again soon. Take care.